Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 1130 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us, and thank God we all made it thus far in the week. Happy Hump Day. And uh, we're going to keep going, but we're going to do it in the spirit of wellness. It's Wellness Wednesday here on G's Power Hour. We are happy to welcome back our favorite cardiologist, Dr. Taiwan Tillman. How are you doing, sir? Good morning. I'm doing great. Good morning. How are you today? I, I'm 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 good. I'm good. Um, Doctor Tillman is, is a wonderful person because he actually let me bother him off the air, which is <laughs> a lot of people. They're like they're running the other way, so I, I appreciate that. But in the meantime, um, we're going to talk about. You know the dreaded, and, and we, we're not. Maybe we should term it some, something else. New Year's resolution, but we're not. We, we're going to go at it from a you know an easier perspective. We're not going to be so hard on you. But before we do that, we're going to be very positive. <laughs> yes, definitely. But before we do that, how do we get to the new year? I guess we need to talk about some stuff. You know, there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of good and for. for Let's say food that's good for you, but not necessarily good to you sometimes, depending on what you're eating. There's a lot of company, um, a lot of traveling. There's just there's a lot of out of the norm types of things. You got any suggestions for just getting through to 2024? Getting through the holidays. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I think a lot of times when we have um, a schedule. We have a schedule that we like, a schedule that we normally adhere to. The thing that interrupts mm. the schedule, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, is holidays, vacation, and so forth. So a lot of times around holidays, people will eat more than they usually eat, drink more than they usually drink, won't get their same amount of rest, or they may get more rest. They may be under more stress because of family members coming into town, um, increased responsibilities, um, more financial stress than usual during the holidays for obvious reasons. And so there are a lot of things, a lot of different things that go on during the holidays that, you know, make it a difficult time of year, even though it's supposed to be, you know, the most wonderful time of the year. And mm-hmm. the way you deal with those things is you have to recognize exactly what the things are, what your stressors are. And that's one of the things that we will talk about a little later when we talk about, um, you know, healthy lifestyle planning. But um, the main thing is to recognize what the stressors are, what your hurdles are, 
and then manage those as best as possible. And then also to during the during those stressful times or you know it's supposed to be about spending time with family and enjoying some of that mm-hmm. time. So you have to sort of make sure that you have the right focus as well. And that, a lot of times that can sort of make those those periods in time, particularly around the holidays and the stress associated with holidays, easier. But one thing I, I, want, I do want to mention about holidays is a lot of times people that have lost family members, particularly if it's the first year they are without those family members, a lot of times mm-hmm. the holidays is when people feel a lot of that stress because it'll be this the first year without them. That's a lot of time, a lot of the time when they really cherish with those family members that they've lost. And that's the time you where everybody's together and you really realize that that person isn't there anymore. And so that also brings a lot of stress, particularly to um, widows or widowers um, and it's their mm-hmm. first year alone. And that's something to keep in mind too. So if you have family members that are in that situation, be, um, just be mindful and sensitive to that issue as well. Yeah. Because a lot of times it's, it's, it's just, you know, we used to do this or this used to happen, you know, during this time mm-hmm. of year and it doesn't happen mm-hmm. anymore. It, it's, it's that comfort, that, that peace that's missing the thing that, you know, you may, you thought, you know, it, it felt like it made you whole. And, and right. we just have to get through and get to the point where we understand that life is just very, very transitional, some in more, you know, cases than others, but it's always transitional. So, but right. you just have to take the good from the past and, and carry it forward in some way. Sometimes it's a picture, sometimes it's a memory, sometimes it's a recipe. Sometimes I was um, mm-hmm. watching uh, that had the DVD almost Christmas, and I sat down with my husband. And was like, okay, let's let's you know take a minute and watch it. And it was one of those situations where you know the matriarch had gone, and it was trying mm-hmm. you know, and it was about I guess finding new traditions or finding comfort in trying to carry forward the old and the, you know the the. Um, it was centered around trying to find the sweet sweet potato pie recipe, you know. Right. Uh, it's so. interesting that you say that because that was going to be my point. Most of the time, you know, it's the patriarch or the matriarch because, you know, older people tend to die. And they also yeah. tend to be, you know, the center that everybody gathers around during those big holidays for most families. And, you know, when they pass, you know, it's always difficult, and you're in that transition, just as you were saying. That movie is a very good example of that, obviously. Yeah, and, and the thing about it, we, we like I said, we just have to understand that life is is very transitional, whether we realize it or not. Some some transitions are slower than others. Some are sudden, um, but it's transitional. We just have to learn how to to move forward. So you know, he, he, sometimes it's just. Uh, a matter of caring for old traditions. Sometimes it's starting new ones, you know. Right. So right. now we were going to talk about. Let's not call. Let's see. Let's. What can we call it? Let's talk about your 2024 lifestyle update. How about that? I think that's a little. That's more a very good way to describe it. I think that that's yeah. excellent. I like. Okay. That. So where do we start? And so what came to mind, well, obviously, this is our last Wellness Wednesday of 2023. 
and um, I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it. It's been great. It's been educational for me. I've learned a lot. I hope you and your listeners have learned a lot, and it's just oh, been yeah. very enjoyable. But uh, seeing that this is our last one of the year and we're coming up on the new year, a lot of people make New Year resolutions, and mm-hmm. a lot of people fail for a number of different reasons. But one of the things, if you go to a gym, you'll notice come January 1st, the gym will be packed. You can't get in there. You can't get to your machines, everything you normally do. Your schedule changes. Your workout changes because there's so many people, and all you have to do is wait. Wait a month. Wait two mm-hmm. months. Everything's back to normal. All those new faces that you saw, they're all gone. All the new memberships, they're either canceled or people are still paying them and not using them, but everything mm. is back to normal. Regression to the mean. And it's because people start these New Year's resolutions, and a lot of times they fail. And so what are the things that we can do, number one, to make sure that we're successful when we set goals or make New Year's resolutions? And then what I want to talk about in general was just an overall, like you said, a a lifestyle update. It's not about losing a certain amount of weight. It's not about, you know, reaching, you know, any one specific goal, but just a complete lifestyle update to make you a happier, healthier um, person and to increase longevity and useful years in your life and changes that you can make and keep sort of like not just a temporary change where you're trying to do something for three months and then drop it, but a lifestyle change that you'll carry on from that point forward. And so I targeted a few parameters, and they're kind of obvious ones, sleep being one, diet, exercise, and management of stress. And so we can sort of go through those one at a time. So which one do you find most interesting? Which one would you want to start with? Well, I'm going to go in the order that you sent them, but I'm going to say that we're not going to have enough time for this first one. I actually plan on having some sort of extended powwow on on this one um, in the the new year in January somewhere. So, um, because we have uh, a dietitian, uh, uh, Tara Collingwood, she's on on the second Friday of the month. And um, we've talked about sleep. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there there are so many different components. There's so much advice out there about sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's the, and it part the part of the main problem is, and the reason I, I've decided to go ahead and put it first is because we don't put it first. Exactly. We are. In, in, going, in, in my opinion, and <laughs> but in my opinion, you know, yeah, we're worried about the gym and the gym clothes and the gym equipment, and we're worried about the, the diet and some other things. How many times do you talk to somebody, you know, you, you'll hear them say, I, mean, I just can't really seem to get a good night's sleep. And that's kind of where it's left. Mm-hmm. You know? so, it's very common. Um, but like you said, Sleep is something we take for granted. We just take for granted that, you know, we do things in the daytime, we go to sleep at night, and and we don't really prioritize. We don't prioritize quality of sleep nor quantity of sleep. And um, it, it can be a big problem. It can be an underlying problem that generates a lot of health issues. I can't tell you how often I will have patients tell me, I'm tired during the day. I don't have any energy. I'm fatigued. And mm-hmm. I ask how do you sleep at night? And they have this look on their face like, I never even thought about that. 
you know, and they say, mm-hmm. I don't sleep well at night or I toss and turn or I stay up late or I, you know, sleep right now and wake up and can't go back to sleep. But they don't put two and two together. That lack of quality sleep leads to lack of a quality day the following day. And so mm-hmm. it's just something that, you know, we really don't think a lot about. And it's one of those things that um, it's not that difficult to change your sleep hygiene habits. You just have to make to do so. And so, so oh, go. Go <laughs> you know I can jump in on this anytime. Go ahead. <laughs> go, go right ahead. Do you have a question? Um, but no, I, I think... have a question. I got all kind of comments. Um, one, oh. I, I, like you said, I just don't, I think people don't prioritize enough to the point that they really shortchange the whole, it's a, it's a practice. It, it, it's, I just can't tell you, and, and I'm still working on it, and there's a lot of different things that get in the way, but, I mean, just certain things that you can do, it's an investment, you all. I mean, my husband has already said when we get home, when he gets home tonight, there's this mattress pad that I want. <laughs> we're getting the mattress pad. It's on sale. We're getting the mattress. You don't understand. Uh, <laughs> I um, and I, I will. I will. I'm going to expound on this. In fact, we'll probably take more time on sleep than anything else for the moment. Um, I want to say about twenty something, twenty something years ago. <laughs> okay, we went to a conference, and I'm going to name the hotel and everything. We went to a conference out. Um, in Phoenix, and I, it was a resort, and it was. It, I'm thinking he keep, he kept saying it was a Westin, and I kept saying I don't think so. I, I know I've stayed at Westin. No, I, I know it's, I knew what you're gonna say. It's the Westin that has those beds. They have a you can buy them. Is it? So yes, anyway, you can, you can actually buy the beds. Well, I don't know about the bed, but I slept. I I kept saying that's the best sleep I'd ever had in my life. I kept kept saying it's the best sleep I had in my life. And he's like, it's the Western. And I asked them what mattress pad. I'm like, we don't, we don't know. Recently, the last couple of months, we went um, we went up to visit the in-laws. We went um, went to Philadelphia, road trip, went to Tennessee. And he's like, okay, we got a day or two. Where do you want to go? I said, well, I'll just take one day because there's stuff I need to do at home. And I've been wanting to go to Jekyll Island. We'll, let's go to Jekyll Island. And I said, okay. Mm-hmm. I said, there's this Weston. I said, I know it's kind of out of the but He's like, that's okay. And went to sleep and woke up. And I was like, this is it. This is the sleep I've been looking <laughs> For the last 20 years. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, oh, my gosh. They have, just to let you all know, and I know y'all think I'm crazy, they have a Weston store online. You can get the bedding. I'm just letting you all know. And I'm so glad you knew exactly what I was going to talk about. You can get the bedding. Uh, We are getting the 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 mattress pad tonight. The heavenly bed. I don't know what that stuff is made of, but it's heaven sent some kind of way. (laughs) Okay. So I'm not crazy. I knew where you You were going. The second you you started it, I knew where you were going with it. Oh, my gosh. I just couldn't believe that. And I've tried all kind of pillows. I've tried all kind of mattress pads and mattresses and everything like that. And I'm like, okay, I know at, at least it's the mattress pad. It sleeps. (laughs) <laughs> like what is that phrase snug as a bug in a rug type of thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know it's 
just you don't want to get up. You know, you just kind of <laughs> want to take the whole thing and wrap it around you and walk wherever you're going to go. With I mean, seriously, best sleep, y'all. Well, mattress is certainly one of those things. I always tell people if you're going to splurge on something when you get a new house or a new apartment or your first place, the one thing I always splurge on or I tell people, splurge on a mattress. Splurge on a mattress because that's where you're going to spend a lot of your time, um, you know, and they last forever. Not forever, but they last over a long time. So, you know, it doesn't make sense to buy a cheap mattress and struggle through that night after night after night. You could have bought a nice one and kept it for 10, 15 years rather than getting mm-hmm. a bad one and changing it out every three to five years. So um, mattresses are definitely important and certainly an important part of sleep. But I think one of the, the more other- important parts of sleep – oh, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the other thing is, well, thread count in some cases is important. Um, a good mm-hmm. set of sheets is important. Anything, my, and my mom, had, she said, like, no, I don't buy anything under 300 thread count. You know, I was like, oh, what the heck? You know, and then I learned and grew, and then I married my husband, and, like, we don't get anything under 300 thread count. And he's like, uh he learned and he grew and we don't do that. <laughs> we just, it's a part of it. Like I said, it's a whole practice. It's a thing. But if you are suffering with sleep, and I just have to throw this out there. When I was younger, I was in my 20s. I was having such bad sleep issues to the point that uh, a doctor prescribed sleeping pills for me. I'm just sharing this. I went through the sleeping pills and got to the last one, and I'm like, and I looked at it, and I kept it for a while. I'm like, I'm not refilling this. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way to get decent sleep without a pill. So, you know, yeah, it, it, it may take a while, but you can get there. Mm-hmm. And so I think a couple of things when it comes to – having difficulty sleeping. So when someone says they have difficulty sleeping, the first thing I always ask them is to define what, they're, what they mean. Do they have difficulty falling asleep or do they have difficulty staying asleep? And it, a lot of times those are two different things. For example, if someone has difficulty falling asleep, it may be because sometimes people just can't turn their minds off. And so they're lying in bed and they're thinking about what they have to do tomorrow. They're thinking about what they did today. They're thinking about, you know, any of a number of different things and their mind is just racing and they can't shut it off to calm down and actually go to sleep. So that, you know, that can be a problem of falling asleep. But another thing that can be a problem of falling asleep is if you, you know, drink caffeine throughout the day, you drink caffeine too late in the evening, or you're doing activities late in the evenings. You know, some people, if they work out or exercise later in the evening, their body is still charged up, so they have difficulty falling asleep. So, you know, things like that, you have to look for little cues as to what may be causing your sleeping issues if you're having trouble falling asleep at night. As far as people that fall asleep easily and wake up in the middle of the night, um, that can be a little different. That's something we see a lot more in people as they get older. Um, Older people need less sleep, and they tend to have more problems um, with uh, getting adequate sleep. Um, It can be associated... um, with something disturbing you at night, or it can be associated with uh, sometimes people take certain types of sleeping pills that uh, cause them to have a lesser quality sleep. And then the biggie that we need to talk about is sleep apnea, which is Mm. we think we know the um, prevalence of sleep apnea in certain communities, 
but it's probably even higher because most of the time, even if someone knows, if family members will know somebody has sleep apnea, they won't recognize it or they won't do anything or seek treatment for it until there's something else that has caused an issue. Um, you know, I've had a patient that has sleep apnea so bad that they thought he was passing out, but he was just falling asleep because he had severe, severe sleep apnea. He actually fell asleep that day in my office sitting in front of me. And, you know, the daughter says he passes out like this all the time. <laughs> Turns out he just had very, very, very severe sleep apnea. And they brought him to me thinking he needed a pacemaker. Nope, he needed a sleep study in CPAP to be very severe. Sleep apnea is also a cause of sudden death in a lot of people um, at night. So when you stop breathing at night, your oxygen levels get really low. That can cause you to have cardiac arrest. And so a lot of times when people are completely healthy, particularly people that are overweight, and they have sudden death in their sleep, they just don't wake up and they're completely healthy before, a lot of times that is due to sleep apnea and um, associated cardiac arrest. So sleep apnea is very important to treat for that reason. It can cause sudden death, but can also cause lots of other problems. It can cause elevated pressures in your lungs. It can cause um, abnormal irregular heart rhythms like atrial fibrillation, which can then lead to stroke. Um, and there are a lot of things, a lot of other things associated with that. So um, the people that are highest risk for sleep apnea are people that are overweight and obese. And you see a lot of that in the African-American community, a lot of that in other communities as well that we've talked about in our set, in our um, podcast over the past several months. And so it's an important mm-hmm. um, thing to recognize. And the most obvious symptom that people will tell you when they have sleep apnea is I'm tired during the day. Um, if I sit down, if I stop moving, I sit down, I'm going to fall asleep. And I can get up and go and I can work, but as soon as I stop, I'm just drowsy all day. I can sleep eight hours, nine hours, ten hours at night. I wake up in the morning, I'm still tired. And uh, that's and I am so it. guilty. <laughs> I am. We call I am that so daytime hypersomnolent. Hyper thing you do in those patients is you send them for a sleep study. Sometimes you'll find out they wake up 10, 20, 100, 120, 200 times a night, they have episodes where they slightly wake up and fall back asleep, depending on the severity of their sleep apnea. And if a lot of times family members will tell you, yeah, they stopped breathing at night, or the wife or the husband will say, he or she stops breathing at night, and I'll kick them or nudge them, and then they'll start breathing again. Or if I wait 15, 20 mm-hmm. seconds, they'll start breathing again. And uh, But a lot of people don't like the sleep study, so a lot of it goes undiagnosed and or untreated for that reason. So it's probably even more prevalent than we know because we only mm-hmm. know the cases that present and are diagnosed, and it's very important to be treated. But that that is probably the most prevalent sleep disorder that is significant. Probably the second most prevalent would be um, restless leg disorder, which is a lot of people, that's one of the things that a lot of people, you know, aren't familiar with, but it is another sleep disorder where your legs just constantly get this feeling like they need to move at night, and that causes sleep disturbances as well. Mm-hmm. There's, there's so much. Um, and, for example, one of the things I want to say, too, because, yeah, my husband and I both, separate times, we did sleep studies, and, yeah, we both have a variety of stuff. Um, me more so than him. I always have said my husband can drop off to sleep in 20 seconds as soon as, as after he his head hits the pillow, no problem. Me, it's a combination of, of stuff. So my stuff is the process of elimination. Um, one is um, one thing I will say 
the position of your pillow is important. I had to learn that mm-hmm. too. I was laying on my pillow wrong. Um, it, mm-hmm. I, you know, and I think a lot of people do this because it, it, it's kind of comfortable. I had part of my, I guess, shoulder on my pillow, and it wasn't cradling my head the way because your shoulder really should not be on the pillow. So the the pillow should come up under your, you know, in that curve where your neck is. Right, create that little right. space right there, right. Right, and, and it should cradle your head. But when you put your shoulder on that pillow, it sinks it down, and you don't get that support in that area for your head. Um, and that will cause some of that apnea, too, in terms of, you know, restricting your airways and waves and stuff. Right. So, airways and right. stuff. So that's one thing. The other thing is, and there's a lot of um, people out there trying to get your money for this. My husband and I were just laughing today about some cooling sheets that we bought uh, that weren't necessarily so cool. They're comfortable, but they weren't as cool. But um, they have improved the technology in terms of things to regulate temperature. And I know this is really important for ladies, especially, you know, depending mm-hmm. on where you are in life. Um, mm-hmm. The temperature is very important. And to the point where, you know, you may need to put your get a thermostat that that has a timer that adjusts the temperature at night um i mean there's so many things involved in that you also look have to look at what you are or are not sleeping in you know that makes a difference too mm-hmm. because the temperature it is so very important um in, in terms of getting a good night's sleep so mm-hmm. just wanted to throw that out there too but there's other stuff too <laughs> And I know you have to yeah, end up. Yeah, in general, most people will sleep better in cooler temperatures. And so, um, in general, you want to cool your temperatures down at night. Um, but briefly, back to the sleep apnea, um, you mm-hmm. mentioned, you know, certain positions and certain pillows and so forth. And that is correct. Um, that's why it's, it's called, the full name for it is obstructive sleep apnea, because a lot of times there's central sleep apnea, which is not very common, and obstructive sleep apnea, meaning um, you're obstructing the back of your throat. And that's why a lot of times it's associated with snoring, because when you're snoring, you're blowing mm-hmm. air through an area that's somewhat obstructed. And that's why most of the people that you'll see have sleep apnea, you can sort of look at some people and tell based on their body type, the size and shape of their neck, the size and shape of their jaw, whether or not they have uh, are at risk for sleep apnea. And um, obstruction is the cause. And so, you know, you may have seen mouthpieces for sleep apnea, and so that, you know, they say help. Sometimes if you can move the jaw forward and um, open mm-hmm. up the, air, the airway, then, you know, those people will continue to breathe as opposed to having apneic episodes. So sometimes, sometimes that will help. There are different types of surgeries what we call the pharynx, where there can be an enlarged tongue, enlarged tonsils, and so forth. And there are surgeries that they can do that can sometimes cure sleep apnea like that. But sometimes, you know, it's also genetic. For example, there are, um, if you look at certain groups of um, Asian people, they have smaller faces and smaller lower jaws. And even though they're not overweight because they have a smaller lower jaw because of their facial structure, sometimes they are at higher risk, particularly for people that are not, are not overweight, 
they're no, um, people that have normal weight may be at higher risk and have a higher prevalence of sleep apnea just due to the structure of their face and um, their posterior airway. So there are a lot of things that can contribute to sleep apnea, but the main thing is whatever your contributing factor is, it mm-hmm. needs to be diagnosed and treated because it is associated with the very severe health issues. Aside from the fact that you don't get very good quality sleep because you're waking up throughout the night, there's also the things that come along with that, including, you know, from just being tired during the day, possibly falling asleep, having an accident while driving to the far end of the spectrum, which mm-hmm. is death. Yeah, I, I I know I know a lot of this personally. The other thing I would say too, it, the the more you can reduce the amount of stress in your life, that helps too. I'm one of those people that clench. If I'm tense mm. at night, I'm clenching. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that messes up your jawline too, in, mm-hmm. in terms of of getting the amount of air through. You know, so one of the things you have to do is find a way to relax and all that stuff that's on your mind before you <laughs> go to sleep. My mom used to say, uh, tell me to like, you know, keep a notepad by the bed. And when you start thinking about that thing, just write it down so you, if you're, you know, go back to it in the morning so that you're not necessarily taking it all, you know, to sleep with you when you go to sleep, mm-hmm. you know, because, you, you know. It sounds you, like you're, you're morphing to the next it, topic. <laughs> yep, yep. So, but yeah, so you're the, moving the on whole, to stress. So it's a, nat- yep. it's a natural progression from sleep to stress, right? <laughs> exactly. And we're going to take a break and we're going to talk about that. But, but I want also remind people I don't know how many people remember um, Reggie White, the football player. Um, mm-hmm. I believe that was the cause of his death, was sleep yeah. apnea. And when, he's, he's probably the big, the, one of the most public examples of a healthy person um, having sleep apnea and having sudden death in their sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I always remember that. So, yeah. Yes. Anyway, we are going to take a quick break. We are here with Dr. Taiwan Tillman. If you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. We're trying to do a lifestyle update, a 2024 lifestyle update. We're trying to uh, help you with that. So, This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we will be right back. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time, and you need to plan a wake or repast. Let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thank you for being with us on this Wellness Wednesday, helping you with your 
2024 Lifestyle Update. We are privileged and blessed to have Dr. Taiwan Tillman, cardiologist, with us. Um, and we kind of spent not nearly enough time on talking about sleep, but we will get back to that in another time because there are some other things, um, like uh, Dr. Tillman was saying, that I kind of we were leading into is, you know, getting rid of some stress. That will affect your sleep and, and a bunch of other stuff. Correct. So <clears throat> stress, even though it uh, wasn't the next topic that we were going to go into about my list, you made a natural transition to stress because it is very much related to sleep. And uh, it can, as you mentioned, and as we talked about, it's one of those things that if you have a lot of things on your mind, a lot of stress going on, it can make it difficult for you to fall asleep. And so I think the thing about stress is everybody has it, and it's, it's just a natural part of life. The question is, what do, we, what do we do to manage stress? What are your stress management techniques? And that can look very different for everyone. Um, for some people, stress management means just taking time to be alone, to relax, and to do nothing. And for other people, stress management would mean doing something that gets their mind off of whatever their stressors are. And so it may be exercise. It may be, you know, drawing or, you know, driving a car. Or it could be something, you know, strenuous like running a marathon or running long distances. So it can be very different for everybody. The important thing is um, when it comes to managing stress, I think, is number one, to identify what your stressors are. If there are things that you can do to make your stressors less stressful, then do that. And so I think that's that's where you need to start. Number one, identify stressors and then try to minimize whatever your stressors are. So if your stressors are just a daily part of your job and it can't be eliminated, then that's fine. It's just something that you have to deal with and figure out how to, you know, de-stress at the end of the day. As opposed to if your stressors are, you know, a friend or a coworker or something that you can change or remove yourself from or change the situation, then that's something that you deal with by sort of removing that stressor from your life that you, if, if that's possible. And so number one is to find out what your stressors are and sort of address that individual stressor. And the next thing is to sort of identify coping strategies, what works best for you as an individual. And like I said, that can be very variable for lots of different people. Do you have certain coping strategies that you use in your life? Yes. <laughs> Chocolate. <laughs> um, no, but, yeah, that's part of it. But, no, I do. I actually, and I no, I've mentioned this before, I take a weekly soak in the tub, on usually on Sunday evening, um, probably between seven and nine o'clock or whatever. Um, yeah, I know that sounds very specific, um, but I, I usually will do that with some Dr. Teals. Even those who you know, no bath stuff, no Dr. Teals. Uh, I'm in love with Dr. Teals, um, and, and my husband knows this now. It's, it's, it, at this point, he knows, and I don't can't tell you exactly when I started. I know I started. Since my husband and I have been together, but um, I do. I, I and I'll either do a variety of things during that time. I'll either take a cup of tea with me, maybe some magazines or the reading I need to catch up on. And half the time, I don't even look at the stuff 
you know, or I might turn the TV up and listen to, you know, I I, I like to listen to uh, some of the English, I guess, mysteries like uh, Shakespeare and Hathaway and some others, uh, mm-hmm. Frankie Drake mysteries, mm-hmm. different type of things. But it's, yeah, we have a nice size, we were blessed with a nice size garden tub. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, when I start in being in real estate, when I look at master bedrooms that don't have bathtubs, it is just shocking to me because, I mean, that's, to me, that's, that's part of the experience of having, um, an ensuite in the, uh, master bedroom is to be able to, to have that privilege of, of being able to do it. And like I said, it's once a week because I know, Hygienists say basically you should shower more than you do the soak in the tub. But the soak in the mm-hmm. tub is strictly, uh, I do it once a week, it's strictly a de-stressor. You know, sometimes I'll do it by candlelight. Sometimes I'll put some jazz on or some mm-hmm. old school on. But that's my time to just kind of do the mindless soak and, you know, get the aromas in there. And, you know, it's it's actually just, to me, it's kind of reaching out to your sensation, so to your um, senses. You know, there's the sense of smell, mm-hmm. there's a sense of feel. There's, it's, it's a matter of, of, you know, relaxing all of the senses and just, you know, letting them go. Um, that, you know, the movie Frozen says, which you're playing a lot now, that, that, and that is truly a thing about, uh, you know, getting rid of some of the, the stress is having to let some stuff go. Um, to me, it's like it's getting rid of last week and it's preparing me and putting me in the right frame of mind to deal with the upcoming week. So that's, that is my main de-stressor. Um, I mentioned tea. We do, we do tea. I like tea. Um, hot tea, so that's another mm-hmm. stressor. And then, like I said, I mentioned chocolate, which that's not necessarily the best one. But um, I, anytime I do, <laughs> that unfortunately, anytime I do feel stressed, I'm like, I can tell. I'm like, I need some chocolate, and I need it now. So maybe while we're on this, you can tell me what the correlation is between my being stressed out and the need for chocolate. Well, uh, well, let me do, let me let's start with something else first. You mentioned okay. that there is a specific day and a specific time that you usually do this, right? Mm-hmm. And you right. said you felt it was really specific, but in actuality, that's the best way when we talk about building these habits and changing the, you know, making these new changes, is to be specific, to have a specific schedule that you can adhere to, that you can look forward to, that you can plan for, and that way you can make it a habit that you can just sort of stick to. And I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, when you're describing that, I'm thinking as you're describing it, that's excellent. That's exactly how it was, I would suggest that someone does it. And also, you know, I think if you talk to women across the board, probably the most common de-stressor that women will use is a soak in the tub. Now, if you talk to men, I think that would be exceedingly rare. I don't know why. But I think it's exceedingly rare that men will soak in the tub. And, in fact, I can't think of a single one that I know that does. <laughs> if you ask men, men, you know, they'll probably say manly things. Clearly, I don't think men deal with their stress as, as efficiently as women probably. But um, uh-huh. but I, I think the, the point, the one point that you 
did mention though is the time, and I think that is very important and a very good point. Um, your question, chocolate. When people are stressed, they look for comfort. So that's why we call some things comfort foods, some things that we like. Mm-hmm. And um, chocolate is one of those things. And um, <laughs> just men and men and women are so different. But if you look at, you know, there's been surveys, and you can probably know this from your personal life. If you talk to women, a lot of women will like dark chocolate. And to the mm. point that it's almost bitter, not not sweet at all. You're talking 70%, 80% cocoa. Women will like that mm-hmm. stuff. Men mostly prefer sweeter milk chocolate. I don't know why. But, mm. but chocolate, you, chocolate does um, release some endorphins. And so that's probably part of it. It does release endorphins. And um, I don't know if it's more suited for women in that regard than men. But um, it certainly does release endorphins. So that probably has a little to do with it. You like chocolate. It releases some of those endorphins, and you feel better after eating it. And if you're eating dark chocolate, is it dark chocolate or milk chocolate that you like? I have – I do milk – I mean, excuse me, I do dark chocolate now. It's hard for me. And and it's funny because most candy that you buy in a store or most chocolate that you buy is milk chocolate-based. Dark chocolate Mm -hmm. has evolved because of, I think, the health benefits and whatnot. And so when they did start talking about dark chocolate, I did start graduating. I'm still not into the intensely dark chocolate altogether yet, but yes, I do absolutely more dark chocolate than milk chocolate. In fact, when I try to go back to do milk chocolate, it almost has this pasty for me. It's in, or maybe it's a little bit too sweet or something. But I have a hard time now going back to milk chocolate. It's got to be dark. Yeah. And dark chocolate has what we call a relatively low glycemic index, meaning when you eat it, it doesn't make um, your blood sugar spike nearly as much as, you know, milk chocolate. And I wore one of the uh, diabetes glucose monitors, the continuous monitor that sticks on your arm. I wore one of those for a couple of weeks. And it was interesting to wear that just to see how certain foods affected blood sugar. And, you know, mm. just a regular piece of milk chocolate, my blood sugar would spike up to 250 within, you know, three minutes and then plummet back down to 50 once my body released the insulin to counter that. Dark chocolate, I mean, there was almost no spike at all. I mean, it pretty much stayed the same. It may have bumped five or 10, but I mean, really didn't change much at all. And I was really impressed by that. Now, it's I don't really like the taste of it, but it was an experiment. I was try, trying out different things to see really how it affected blood sugar. So when I talk to patients, I can sort of, you know, relate this stuff to actual experience. And um, I was really impressed by the fact that dark chocolate really, really doesn't bother blood sugar much at all. Wow. That's very interesting because my so husband don't feel ordered when some, you My husband – ordered some chocolate for us recently and he ordered some of these um, dark chocolate nut clusters. I mean, well, he ordered some mm-hmm. chocolate nut clusters. What I did not find out until he told me yesterday was that he actually ordered, he had some of, <laughs> he had some of what I found out were to be my nut clusters because um, <laughs> he, he ordered dark and milk chocolate. I didn't even know he had ordered milk chocolate I had I had got the dark chocolate clusters and I set them out and so you know and I was like okay I'm, we're we're sharing the dark chocolate he's like well I left you the last one he's like I'm like no 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 he's like well that's yours anyway 
<laughs> but he had ordered himself some milk chocolate ones, and I'm like, really? <laughs> what did you I know, tell you? Unfortunately, he's the diabetic in the house, unfortunately. So, um, but we, we, we decided to treat ourselves a little bit around the holidays, so that was what that was. So. And that's okay. We have gotten off. We have gotten off subject. <laughs> we're probably going to have to do a part <laughs> two, but we're, I'm, I'm not going to break. We're going to go ahead because there's two other components that we wanted to talk about in terms of our um, healthy lifestyle update for 2024. Um, and so which one do you want to tackle next? Let's do, I don't know, let's do diet first. And oh. <laughs> so we'll do diet. And so we talked about um, this is this is not <laughs> we're not necessarily trying to focus on weight loss. We're just trying to do an overall healthier beer lifestyle and to make some changes that can be lifelong changes. And so when it comes to diet, variety is the spice of life, right? So we're not mm-hmm. trying to lose a bunch of weight, or we're not trying to you know put on weight or put on muscle. We're just trying to eat a healthy, balanced diet that you can eat and live the rest of your life with that's relatively healthy. And I think that's one of those things that's pretty obvious. Um, but where should you start? I think the place that you should start when you're looking at just starting out just a general diet, you want a framework. That framework needs to be, number one, I would say healthy snacks because snacks is where most people get in trouble. Snacks is mm-hmm. where people try and find something that's quick, find something that's, it's usually, and that usually means something preserved. It usually means something unhealthy. So you want to eat something and salty. So most snacks are salty, unhealthy, preserved, prepackaged. So you want to move away from those unhealthy snacks, move to healthy things, healthy things like fruits, healthy things like um, vegetables, healthy things like nuts that don't have a lot of salt in them or that are lightly salted, and all the other, and even things like dried fruits and, and so forth are good snacks too. So snacks that are healthier and snacks that are not processed. And I think that's a good place to start because that's where a lot of people get in trouble when it comes to diet. And then on from there, the rest of it is is pretty obvious that you want to cut out certain things, fried foods, fatty foods, sugary drinks, a lot of empty calories in what we drink. And so if you can sort of change what you drink, if you're drinking lots of soft drinks and lots of sugary drinks like tea and so forth that are that sweetened and you can switch those to unsweetened versions, be, but be careful of some of the artificial sweeteners. Some of them are good, some of them not so good. And um, lots more lots more water. And if you're going to drink tea, um, tea that doesn't have, that you don't add a lot of sweeteners to, um, mm-hmm. coffee is okay, but excess of coffee, caffeine is a drug. You can, you can get addicted to caffeine just like any other stimulant. And so there are a lot of changes that you can make there. Um, more fish, less red meat. More vegetables, less starches, and reasonable portions. You don't always have to clean your plate, um, but also make sure when you make your plate, don't make excessively large portions because most of the time, you know, a lot of people are conditioned. If if it's in front of you, you're just going to eat it. You're going to finish it. So you can sort of modify that by eating smaller portions. Um, be mindful of why you're eating. A big part of eating, particularly around the holidays, like you mentioned earlier, is not just to eat for nutrition, but it's a social setting. It's a social event. So we're going to mm-hmm. go and we're going to watch the game. We're going to eat wings. We're going to go and we're going to 
talk about something at work. We're going to eat lunch or we're going to go out for drinks and snacks. And so a lot of times it's, there's a social component to eating as well. And particularly if you have a job where you, you have a lot of dinner meetings or lunch meetings, you tend to eat more than you may normally eat. And, you know, those are times when you have to consciously make healthy choices. And so the dietary thing is sort of something that you just have to plan for. You don't, you can't just stumble into it because you have to make these changes when you go to the grocery store and you go shopping. You have to make these changes when you place your order for lunch, when you're going, you know, when you're going on, you know, for a dinner or a business dinner. So these are things that you have to be conscious of and you have to make con- consciously make better decisions. The one thing I'm going to say and interject is buy smaller plates. Don't get tricked into buying those large <laughs> plates. That seriously, it does make a difference. We have we have large plates, but we have gotten to the point now that we actually will use the salad plate more than we use the larger plate in our attempt to work on portion control. So and that, that is, that is know, a good trick, you, and, and, it, and it has yeah. been shown over and over that it actually works. You buy smaller plates, people eat smaller portions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, the, you know, another, another trick that works is um, uh-huh. putting blue lighting in your refrigerator. I don't know what the psychological part of that is, but blue lighting is considered to be your brain registered as less appetizing. So if you're just walk by the fridge and open the fridge and you're looking in there for something to eat, the blue lighting sort of shuts your brain down to want to eat. And people are less likely to pull something out of the fridge or they will eat less just because of the blue lighting on the food in the refrigerator. Wow, that's interesting. Because I also heard it that is. the color red makes you more – increases the appetite. <laughs> it makes you want to eat more. That's, so yeah. that's a study that, that probably needs to be looked into in terms of, you know, colors and how they affect, you know, your, your appetite or, you know, you know, how it affects you visually in terms of yeah, what you want to eat. We could have a long conversation on, on color science. There's a lot to do with a lot of color science that's, you know, been Ooh. looked into fairly deeply and proven. It has to do with eating and emotions and lots of different things. Okay. That's a, that's a good topic. That's a, that's, we're going to get into that. That's a good topic. I, I'd be interested in doing that. So, okay. Yeah, we can, so, we can do that. Um, uh, we've got one more that we need to get to. Uh, the lovely exercise I'm thinking that we need to talk about, yeah. right? Okay. Yes. So, so, I have a question. I know you want to get into it, but I, ha- I do have a question because I was, I actually, um, had to do some walking and bus hopping today. So my, we always say that, well, I shouldn't say we always say, but I always hear that walking is a good, easy, I guess you could say introductory form of regular exercise. So with, with that being said, my question is this, is it better, safer, easier, whatever to, Go to the gym or and walk on a treadmill, or buy a, uh, a treadmill and walk at home. Or is it better to go out and walk in your neighborhood on the sidewalk, or or should you go to your nearest park or walk trail and walk? What's better? Um, well, number one, there is no substitute for walking, and I think whenever I suggest exercise or recommend exercise to my patients, it's always walking unless there's some limitation, hip 
pain, knee pain, knee replacements, back pain, something that limits their walking. Otherwise, my suggestion is unless you can't, walking is your best choice. Now, as far as how you walk, um, there's a lot of different options, obviously. Walking on a track, indoors, outdoors, walking on a treadmill, um, I'm walking in like a hiking trail, something like that. If I had my choice to recommend any one of those, I would probably say walking on a hiking trail would be best because you may get some changes in elevation. You get some changes in terrain. So it helps with balance. It helps with strengthening, and it gives you more variety. And so that would probably be the best, but most people probably won't have access to that, right? So the next best would be to walk outside because there's no – substitution really for walking and basically it involves a lot more muscle if you're walking actually outside than walking on a treadmill because once again you have changes in the terrain that you're walking on it helps with your balance you have more visual cues as you're walking around and seeing things outside and your whole body is involved more but if you can't do any of that then walking on a treadmill is a good substitute or it's a good substitute for when the weather's bad outside Walking on an indoor track is good. Um, once again, that is another way of just getting your actual physical walking in. But treadmill will put lowest on the list. But if that's your only option, then treadmill is better than nothing. The other thing is for people that can't walk, there are a lot of different options. You know, there are machines that um, are really low impact. So you're thinking about elliptical machines. Um, different types of um, bikes, different types of what they call new step machines that are all low impact for older folks or people that have had joint injuries or, or that are rehabbing joints. There's also pool exercises. Pool exercises take the weight off your hips, off your knees, off your back. So even people that have really severe back pain can get in the pool and do aerobics because the water takes the weight off of their joints and off of their back, and so they can do that pain-free and actually get the heart rate up because unable to exercise is it's sort of like a negative feedback loop. They can't exercise, they get more and more deconditioned, they get more and more short of breath, and then not only can they not exercise due to joint pains or back pain, now they have shortness of breath even when they do something. So it becomes this vicious cycle. And then they start to gain weight, which, which puts more weight on their joints or on their back, and now all of a sudden the pain is worse. So it's just progressively mm. worsening overall with the deconditioning uh, musculoskeletal pains and weight gain, and they have progressively worsening overall health. So there are lots of different options that you have for exercise. The main thing is to figure out what works for you. But in general, when someone's getting started, first recommendation, walking. So next question is how much walking, right? And the recommendation is to do 30 minutes seven days a week. So that's 210 minutes, right? That can be divided up into any number Obviously, you don't want it all in one day, but if it's three days a week where you get it all in, four days a week where you get it all in, either way, or just 30 minutes, seven days a week, either way, that's the goal to get to about 210 minutes a week. However, if you double that, that has been shown to actually decrease mortality by as much as 20 to 30%. So more is better up to a certain point. And we're talking walking at a moderate pace, sort of like, you know, <laughs> when – Friday was a big thing, and you get out of your car and you're trying to walk through the stores really quickly to get what you want, but you don't run, just that sort of fast, sort of moderate to fast walk. That's sort of the pace you want to walk at um, when you're doing this moderate level of exercise. So it shouldn't be, you know, painful or where you're severely out of breath, 
but it should be at least a little taxing and you're walking at a moderate pace. Okay. So um, one of the things that has been uh, suggested, proposed to me lately is to do weight training. Mm-hmm. Um, why mm-hmm. is that? And I want, I understand that I need to do that, but I really don't want to look like a He-Man. So <laughs> I want to know my balanced one. approach to this. Okay. And in order for, and and the, the funny thing is, you'll get that from a lot of women that they don't want to look like a He-Man. It's almost, it's extremely, extremely unlikely that you're going to look anything like a He-Man, even if you do lots of weightlifting. The women that you do see walking around that look like He-Man, it's not natural, not at all natural. Mm-mm. And the Mm-mm. men that you see walking around looking like a He-Man, guess what? They're not natural either. It's not natural. And Mm-mm. No. In today's society, um, steroids and hormone replacement therapies and testosterone therapy has become extremely prevalent. And so there are lots of people walking around that are, you know, that are on that stuff. But in general, it is very important for women to do weight-bearing exercises and meaning exercises where your feet are on the floor and you're putting over overloading your muscles and your legs and the hips and the large group muscle groups because it does a couple of things. Number one, it strengthens your strengthens your bones, which is very important for women, and mm-hmm. so it reduces the long-term risk of fractures and you know hip fractures and spontaneous spine fractures and so forth, which most women are at significantly higher risk for the men. So that's important. Um, But it's also important because one of the things that we lose as time goes by is strength. And strength leads to problems with, lack of strength leads to problems with balance, lack of mobility leads to falls, leads to lesser activity. And so it's important as we get older that we do strength training. Once again, strength training with your feet on the floor. So that means it doesn't have necessarily mean you have to do leg exercises, but it means if your feet are on the floor and you're doing arm exercises, that means you're involving your core, you're involving your hips, and you're involving your legs because you have to stand and maintain your balance. So you're really getting a full body workout even if you're only doing something with your arms. So it's important a lot of times that when you're doing those just overall wellness exercising that you do weight exercises with, with, with your feet on the floor. Now, the specific benefits as compared to just walking is with weightlifting, you increase your lean muscle mass, meaning your weight, you may not lose weight, but you change your body composition. So you may weigh 150 pounds, and two people that have the same weight can put them side by side at 150 pounds that would otherwise be identical. <clears throat> they look massively different because of mm-hmm the difference in density of muscle versus fat and different in weight of muscle versus fat. So what happens is if you start weight, weight training, you may notice even sometimes your body weight increases, but your clothes, your clothing size may go down or your body composition mm-hmm. overall just looks different because you're replacing fat with muscle as you do more. And the mm-hmm. last thing I'll mention about weight training is weight Quickly. training after you stop. <laughs> oh, after you stop exercising, weight training allows you to continue with a higher metabolism. If you're just walking, when you stop walking, metabolism crashes, goes back to normal. If you're doing weightlifting for hours and hours and hours after, your metabolism is still high, you're still burning more fat. So you need both. Thank you. I feel a part two coming on next month. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, Dr. Hillman. <laughs> Merry Christmas and thank you and all for listening. Year.
You too. This has been G's Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment. Be well, be safe, be blessed, and please remember all real power comes from God. Take care. Sure.